The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fourth chapter. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against his stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord of your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to your Christ. Let us pray. Almighty God, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight and fruitful for our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So what do we do on this first Sunday of Lent? What do we do with these temptations of our Lord? We, of course, have this text at the beginning of Lent each year. This Lent, we're going to be hearing from the Gospel of John in the coming Sundays. But just as Jesus went out into the wilderness for 40 days, just like the people of Israel were tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, 40 years, we too are doing a bit of a 40-day journey. So what do we do with these temptations? Are they... um, a nice example for us on how we can triumph in the wilderness of life? Do we see in Jesus an example here um, on how to deal with these temptations that we encounter? There, There might be some value in this. I mean, think about the three temptations that Jesus encounters. His own needs. Bread. Pizza. I don't know if he was going to put some cheesy bread in there or not. But after 40 days, that round stones, and if you've been to Israel or you've seen like in a dry riverbed where you've got those polished round stones, they're right there. They look an awful lot like a loaf of bread. So one of our temptations is to focus our life on our own needs and wants, our own appetites. This is a temptation in life. This is kind of what we're told is the meaning of life in our culture. Take care of your own needs. Take care of yourself. But then there's, that's not going to trip Jesus up. He's more sophisticated than that. So the devil takes him up, says, throw yourself down. Give us a display of your power. Show yourself and everyone else who you really are. 
Don't we love displays of power in our culture, victory, success? And boy, aren't we tempted with using our power for our own self-gain? We kind of see that going on, don't we? In every avenue of life and institutions and wherever we go, people get in power and they end up using that power, not really to help people, but to kind of take care of themselves and secure their security in place. Power battles, we call them. But also, maybe Jesus is being tempted to manipulate God here. If I throw myself down, God will have to take care of those angels to take care of me. Boy, that sounds familiar. But then the last one, the devil says, idolatry, worship me and you'll have everything. And you know, that must have been the greatest of temptations because Jesus, I mean, I'd love for him to be in charge of everything. Everywhere we go, don't we see the temptations to worship other gods? And is the old adversary behind all those idols that we tend to worship? We tend to make religions out of lots of things today. Political ideology, viewpoints on this or that, philosophies, um, all kinds of organizations we tend to make a religion out of. We worship that and it's going to pay off and make everything perfect and right. Hmm. I guess we do face some of these temptations. So is Jesus, or Matthew, as he tells us this story, telling us so that we can be aware of these temptations and assert our will, maybe with God's help, hopefully with God's help, and resist these temptations of the devil? After all, James, in the letter of James, it, he says, resist the devil, and it, he doesn't say he might flee, it says he must so maybe there is value in knowing these temptations, and Jesus goes out there to be tempted. But how are you doing with that? How's your scorecard in the wilderness? <laughs> well, maybe you're doing better than me, but we struggle in the wilderness, and these temptations do get the best of us. They got the best of Israel. They got the best of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, after all, were tempted and, you know, it's the ultimate. You know, did God really say to Eve? And then they eat and they start blaming. So that, our story, at least I think I'd be safe to say, looks a lot more like Adam and Eve than Jesus's. But again, maybe you're doing better than what I think. But I wonder if there isn't more going on here than just an example. And in fact, I think if that's all we do with this text, we completely miss the boat. I think there's something more radical, a deeper, an ultimate temptation going on that we oftentimes miss. It's a tiny, tiny little word. It's the first word out of the devil's mouth the first two temptations. Actually, the third one, too, is just in a different way. Do you see it? Do you, what do you think? Somebody tell me. Hmm? 
if, ah, there it is. There is the ultimate temptation. If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, if you worship me, the devil says. Now, we have a liturgical church here, and so we hear about Jesus' baptism at the beginning of Epiphany. That was, you know, quite a while ago. And then we have the transfiguration we saw and heard about last week. So a lot of epiphanies in between. And now we arrive at Lent, and where do we go? We jump back to his temptation, which happened when, if you've got your Bibles out, it happened right after his baptism. Do you remember? You know, Jesus was baptized by John, came out of the water, and a voice comes from heaven and says what? This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then in Transfiguration, listen to him. We talked about that last week. That's why you're here this week, because you heard me last week. No, I'm just kidding. If you are the Son of God, Jesus was just told, in essence, you are the Son of God. And now the devil says, if you are, declaration, promise, boom. Are you sure? Maybe you're not. If you are, just know that whenever God's word comes and God's promise in Christ comes to you, the devil's going to be running around. Get ready. There's one thing our adversary hates more than anything else, and that is God's word and his promise in Christ Jesus. And if you preach it, if you hear it like you're hearing it now, the devil is going to come and try and throw that little word in. If, are you sure? Maybe you're not. And you know what he tempts Jesus to do? If you are the Son of God, well, if, turn this stone into bread. Cast yourself down, the angels will catch you. What is the devil trying to put, have Jesus put his confidence in? He was just told, you are, this is the Son of God. Now the devil's saying, well, if you are, why don't you show it? Show us the money. Show us the money. Come on. You see the subtle switch that the old tempter's doing here? Don't trust God's promise. Prove it. Trust you. That's right, Patty. That's right. Trust your own power. Use your own power. Prove it. But what does God give? He gives a promise. And we want proof. And oh, that tempter is after us that way. That's the ultimate temptation, is to wonder if. But I can tell you so that this is the great news. You may have been beaten up by all those temptations. You might not have the scorecard that Jesus has. Well, fine and dandy, no problem. But this is the one you don't want to miss. Don't listen to the devil's if. Listen to the promise you received in your baptism. You can trust Jesus. He went out in the wilderness and he conquered. And he would be steadfast, 
straightforward, unwavering to head to that cross and to die for your sins and mine and be raised to make you right. When the devil comes with his if to you, maybe you didn't get the score. We talked in the high school kids with this this morning. Maybe you didn't get the score on the test you thought you should, and it makes you feel bad. Maybe you didn't you know, get the time you wanted to in swimming. Maybe you didn't do this, didn't do that, didn't do this. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you got, you're sick. Maybe you got cancer. Maybe you have this, and the devil comes in. If you were a, really a child of God, would all this be happening to you? And you tell that devil, get lost. I am a child of God. I've been baptized. Jesus' righteousness is all over me. You got nothing to say to me. So that's the ultimate if is uncertainty of that promise. And I can tell you that I think, I think I think our world is being utilized. <laughs> Sorry, we got really loud here for a minute. I think our world is getting utilized to throw that if into our lives. Make us uncertain about that promise. Make us uncertain about that promise. I can remember talking to a uh, philosophy professor at Cal Lutheran when I went to Cal Lutheran 30 plus years, 35, a long time ago, I can remember my philosophy teacher, a Lutheran pastor, saying, philosophy is the art of wondering. And I like that. And it's good to wonder. And there is an art to wondering. But when I recently was at Cal not a few years ago, the philosophy teacher told me that really I'm here to not let you be certain about stuff. And not to be too critical, yeah, we should be uncertain about a lot of stuff. In fact, I think we could do with a lot less certainty about we are for sure right about how to do this or how to do that. I think it would be great to have a little more humility about that. But I'm telling you, the one thing you don't want to be uncertain about is what you were told when you were baptized. That's, I think, the biggest problem in our world today. Why are people distraught and distressed? All they have is uncertainty. They have nothing to hang on to, to bank on, but their own. And then you're told, believe in yourself? Are you kidding me? Again, maybe you're way better at all this stuff in the wilderness than me, but I'm sorry, I do not want to believe in myself. I know what they mean, to have confidence, you know, et cetera, and, and feel good. That's fine. That's all the world can offer. But I have confidence, not in me, but in Christ Jesus, who's redeemed me and claimed me, in God who's made a decision about me and you. That's what I have confidence in. And when you have that confidence, you can go through no matter what storm is in the wilderness because God has decided. You can go through everything, every challenge, because He is promises to be with you. Um, so wipe away the if. That's my job today. Just get rid of it. Erase. Cast away. Get it out. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. 
His word is true. And you might say, well, I'm not sure. How do I know for sure? This is the way you know. Christ is risen. That'll do it. Amen.